Welcome, y'all. Excited that you're here. Yeah, cool. I'm glad you're excited, too. So uh, for me, Christmas is one of the most enjoyable seasons of the year because uh, it's the time of the year when I was born. So who doesn't love their birthday, right? All right, cool. Now, honestly, like I really do love Christmas. It, it feels like every time I get up here, I first start talking about the thing I don't like about Christmas because that's also what I'm doing tonight. The first, the, one of the biggest things that I hate about Christmas is Christmas shopping. How many of you, you loathe, you don't like, you hate Christmas shopping? How many of you like Christmas shopping? Oh, that's disgusting. Christmas shopping. Uh, see, here's, here's why I hate Christmas shopping. Now, my family continues to grow like every single year. Uh, I have multiple siblings and they're all like, all of them are married except for one. And then the other one has like three kids. Um, and then I just married into a new family. And so it's like, holy cow, it feels like we're buying presents all the time for everybody. I like to consider Christmas season, the season of sales pitches, infomercials, and honestly, people on the streets selling you things you didn't think you needed or ever wanted until they convinced you, right, that you needed it and that you want it. Right? Maybe you've seen some of those infomercials where they're like scrubbing something and then all of a sudden like the scrubber like falls into a sink and it's like stuff that you never experienced before in your entire life. And they're like, oh my goodness, it falls into the sink and goes down the drain and they're like, oh, see, this is why you need the scrub master fantastic whatever 2000. It doesn't fall through sinkholes. And you're like, I do need that. I'm going to buy it for just 10 easy payments of 1099 you can get this. And it's like, oh my goodness. I hate infomercials, right? Uh, so Christmas season, Christmas shopping. Um, I'm trying to buy my wife a really awesome gift. Uh, you're right. She wants one of those robot watches from the fruit company uh, that everybody loves so much. And I'm looking, I'm like, man, I got to figure out how I'm going to get one of these things. I'm looking for all the Black Friday deals, right? I go online, there's like big sale. Click on this website and it's a legit website. So I go there and I'm looking at it. And I'm like, man, like there's no way. That, and it's like only one left. I'm like, well, that's why it's so cheap, duh. Right, but that's not really why it's so cheap. And I click on it and I'm like, you know, my immediate thought is like this, this right, this sounds too good to be true. What's the catch? Right, there's gotta be a catch. There's no way that they're selling this robot watch for such a low price. I mean, you've gotta be kidding me. So I'm clicking, I'm like, man, like everything's checking out. And then sure enough, like in the fine print, eight easy payments of the price that you see on the screen. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm so thankful I did not fall for that. And honestly, this happens so often. I, I mean, for me, like I become super skeptical anytime I see something that just seems a little too good to be true. Anything that sounds like it's too good to be true. I think we've grown up in a culture and a society, right? Where every single time we think that something might be too good to be true, we start asking the question, what's the catch? Right? What's the catch here? What's, what are you trying to sell me right now? We don't like pushy salespeople, right? We don't, we don't want to hear about how many payments, just be honest with me. Tell me what I got to pay. 
right? We're always wondering like, okay, well, well, what's the angle here? Like, what are you trying to get at? What, 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 how much, or what, what are the strings that are attached to this thing that you're telling me is so grand, so great, so wonderful? And if we're honest, we actually do this way more than we realize. We do this all the time. Like you and I, we do this all the time. And some of you are going, yeah, well, we do it for good reason. And I totally agree with you. You do it for really, really good reasons. Right? We become skeptical whenever someone sells us something or someone's trying to tell us, hey, you should listen to this sales picture or you really should need this. You should want this. And every single time it leaves us asking the question, okay, bro, come on, what's the catch? What are you trying to sell me? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know that you're selling this amazing product, but really, like, I want to know why you're pushing so hard for this. I, I want to know what's, you know, what, what's the purpose behind this? What's your angle here? You're trying to manipulate, ultimately, sales is manipulation. Like, you're trying to manipulate me into getting something. The reality is we actually do this in relationships all the time. We do this in relationships all the time. And, and for a lot of you, you, you've done, you're like going, yeah, man, like, cause you don't know my story. I do this for a lot of really good reasons. Maybe for you, uh, you had a parent who you felt like, you know, the, the only reason they really loved or cared about you was in order to get you to do something for them. Right, or, or they, they wanted you to behave so badly so that they didn't look bad as a parent. Or maybe you had a girlfriend or a boyfriend that they loved you because they wanted something from you. Or maybe you had a friend who, who, who stabbed you in the back and you're like, man, like I thought they loved me. I thought they cared about me. And then you realize later on afterwards, you're going, all they wanted was something from me. That's all they wanted. And without realizing it, all of us, every single one of us in this room, whether you realize it or not, whether you're a Christian or not, do this exact same thing when it comes to our relationship with God. We have a hard time hearing about God and his, and his love and not asking the question, whoa, 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 whoa. What's the catch here? Right? God, and we think that God loves us because he wants something from us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And you go, I feel like there's a catch here. I feel like there's an angle that God is trying to manipulate or work me into that the reason why he loves me so much is so that I would do stuff for him. And I, some of you probably think I'm, I'm crazy if I told you that God completely understands that you would feel this way. He totally understands that you would feel this way. He goes, yep, I get it. I knew you would feel this way. And what do I mean by that? Let's, let's turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter two. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me. We're gonna head to Luke chapter two. 
you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. Otherwise, some of you have phones. There's a Bible app. If you don't have it, you can download it in this time. But as you're turning there, I want to give you some context for what's going on uh, because we're actually going to jump in verse 8. So Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And so what's going on right now is, is Caesar Augustus, who's the Roman emperor at the time, issues a census to be given. If you don't know what a census is, it means he wants to know every single person. He wants to know every single number that exists under the Roman empire. And so he creates this census. And so Joseph, who was pledged to be married, meaning he was engaged uh, to marry at the time, is from Bethlehem. Sweet. He's from Bethlehem. And so he's got to take his entire family back to Bethlehem uh, during, while Rome, the Roman emperor is trying to figure out, man, where is this Jesus guy coming from? Okay, we heard the Messiah is on his way. We heard the Messiah is coming. He's near. And so what they end up doing, they take this census. So, uh, see, or so Joseph takes Mary, who's pledged to be married to, right? Married to be married to. And he takes them back, his family. And guess what? She's also in her ninth month of pregnancy. Like she, the homegirl is about to be having this baby. Like she's super prego. I mean, like surprised. I mean, on Like, so they're, listen, so they're, they're taking her on a donkey back to Bethlehem. Right, you've heard the story. She's on a donkey. I mean, just imagine she's probably got the swollen ankles, right? So she's like, ah, oh, hurting. She's probably craving pickles and peanut butter. And those haven't even been invented at that time. But yeah, I'm pretty sure she probably is. I, if you've ever heard pregnant women, they're totally craving pickles and peanut butter all the time. So they're, so they're on their way to Jerusalem, or they're on their way to Bethlehem to take this census. Mary's pregnant. This wasn't the most comfortable situation by any means. Right? This isn't her second child. So it's not like she has a ton of experience doing this. This is her first child. There's no doctor. There's, there's no, no hospital. No sedation. Oh, and they go to this town where no one really cares about it because it's an outskirt town of Jerusalem where just the shepherds live. And oh yeah, there's also no room in the inn for them. No room in the hotel. So I was like, well, I got this barn out back. I guess that'll do. So they take the, they take Mary and Joseph back where they feed the animals and she gives birth. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so amazing. I mean, just imagine the scene, how bad it probably smelled. The baby's born wrapped in some cloths and then put in a feeding trough. We, we have a fancy word for it. It's called a manger, but it was a feeding trough that they literally fed animals out of. And so she gives birth, and again, this is not quite the way and not quite the place anyone expected the Messiah, the Savior of the world, to be born. And yet here we are. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. 
An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. There will be a sign to you. You will find a boy or a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Verse 13, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with an angel or with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. In other translations, it says, and see this thing that has happened for ourselves, which the Lord has told us about. I want to pause here for just a second. The shepherds were standing by, hearing all this from the angels, and, 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 and I just imagine they're sitting here going, whoa, 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 whoa. Gee, like you're, you're saying the Messiah has come to live in our town in Bethlehem. Like, like he's not, not being born in Jerusalem, where, you know, you kind of would have expected the Savior of the world to be born but instead he's born in our little shepherd town over here in Bethlehem. Okay, not really what we were expecting, but okay, cool. So now he's being born. Oh, and you don't approach like kings. You're not talking to like Pharisees. You're not talking to like the people who should probably care way more about this. You're talking to like some shepherd people. We're nobodies. And I'm sure just imagine being these shepherds going like, this is a little suspicious. This is a little odd that, that these angels came to them and, and were, were talking to them, telling them about, oh my goodness, look, the Messiah is here. He's here in our area? Oh, and they said that they were gonna find him in a manger. You're telling me that the savior of the world is currently sleeping in a feeding trough. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay, cool. Again, their expectations were not being met. And, and ultimately, they're sitting there going, okay, well, so I guess we got, like, we got to go check this. I mean, I don't, I mean, and, and even the angels are going, hey, I know you're probably not going to believe this. I'm going to ask you to go check it out for yourselves. Go check it out. It's like if some angel came down to me and started talking to me and telling me stuff, like I'm pretty sure they're thinking, I don't know what is happening right now. And he's going, you need to go see for yourself. He, the, the angel ultimately knew they were going to be a little suspicious. Yeah, I know it's suspicious that we're coming to you. Yeah, I know it's suspicious that the Savior, the God of the universe, I know he's born in a main, like he's in a feeding trough. I know that sounds a little crazy. You just got to go see it for yourself. So the Lord invites them to come see for themselves. Luke chapter 2, verse 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I mean, the God of the universe, 
the God who created Mary and Joseph, the God who gave them life and breath, humbles himself, submits himself to come in the form, not of a man, not of a king, not of some great ruler, not of some noble birth, but he comes in the form of an infant, a baby, a newborn baby, as helpless as can possibly be, completely and totally reliant on his own creation. I mean, wrap your minds around that for just a second. I mean, if, if I'm some storyteller, like I'm not sitting here telling this story about how, oh yeah, the God of the universe, yeah, he came with some, I mean, I mean there, there were nobodies at the time, just some girl named Mary, yeah, and then she, you know, there, there's a scandalous birth, you know, this story, we don't actually know if Joseph's the real dad. Oh, and then he was, he wasn't born even in, in a hotel, he was born in the, in, or he was born in the stable out back. He didn't get some nice little crib. He got a feeding trough. My question is, if, so God did all this for what purpose? What's his angle? I think we go back to John three sixteen, right? You know, it's the famous verse. If you grew up in church or ever, uh, you know, you probably heard this at some point in time or says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Like, like if you grew up in church, you've heard this verse a million, billion, gajillion times. For a lot of us in here, and I, I, I'm saying this because I'm, I totally relate to this. And I was in your chair for so long. I was in this spot where I would sit there and go, okay, God loves me, but why? For what purpose? What's the catch here? Because every single other time in my life that someone loved me or cared about me, it always seemed like, yeah, I love you because I want you to do something for me. Yeah, I love you because I got something for you. I got this task for you I need to do. So I love you, but hey, can you go get your chores done? Hey, I love you. Can you go to the store and get this for me? Hey, I love you. Uh, and, and, and ultimately, it's, it's trying to get something from you. And this is where the difference between religion and relationship come in. Religion is I want something from you. Religion says, I've, I've got an angle here that I'm trying to get out of you. I'm gonna manipulate the situation to try to get something from you. So what religion says is that in order for you to experience God's love for you, you have to work really hard to earn it. That once you know God loves you, then God expects you to start doing things for him. God goes, I, I, I love you. Now start reading your Bible. I love you. Start praying. And what happens in the church is we believe he loves me so that he could use me for whatever purpose he wants of me. In other words, I'm just a means to an end for God.
But here's what's true. That on this Christmas day, over 2,000 years ago, the God of the universe comes down. This is what's so beautiful about love, about that, that for God so loved, what we misunderstand about love because of your experiences and my experience with people who loved us, we get a broken picture of what love actually is. But if you don't hear anything else I say tonight, please don't miss this. It's this, true love doesn't want something from you. It wants what's best for you. True love isn't out to get something from you. It wants what's best for you. Religion says, I need something from you. Relationship says, I want what's best for you. Think about this. What was best for God? What was best, what was best for God? For God to come down to this earth? I mean, you go back to the garden, like who created the mess? Oh yeah, I created the mess. So for God to leave the comforts of heaven, I think this is so important for us to understand that God does what's best for you and me, regardless of what's best for him. He does what's best for you and for me, regardless of what's best for him. That is the reason for Christmas that you and I would know that God loved you and I so much that he just came after you. He came after me. Even in wanting to do nothing with him, he wanted everything to do with you. I'm gonna say that again. Even in wanting nothing to do with him, he wanted everything to do with you. I'm gonna wrap up with this story. So my dad, uh, I've shared a couple stories about my dad. I, you know, I have a really, really close relationship with my dad and my dad um, honestly made a shift as a father probably around my sophomore, junior year of high school. I didn't know what the shift was because my dad early on in my, in, in growing up, like he very much pushed us and pushed us and pushed us and pushed us um, to be the best athletes possible, to be the best, you know, students possible, that that's what, you know, we knew value and worth came from being the best athlete or being the best student in dad's eyes. And then something just shifted for my dad. All of a sudden, he wants to spend time with me. He cared, like, like, it felt like he cared way more than just about what I did, but just who I was. And, and so my dad, something that he started doing uh, around, it was my sophomore, junior year of high school, he would come up to me every single night and go, hey, Bryce, what are you doing tonight? And honestly, I'd make up things that I'd be doing that night. I didn't really have a ton, but I'm like, I don't know, I'm going to hang out with this friend. And he said every single night, he goes, Bryce, I just want you to know, I love you so much and I would love to spend some time with you whenever you get the chance. And I was like, okay, cool. Every single stinking night, he would come up going, dude, I just love you so much, man. And I want you to know, I would love to get some time with you whenever you get the chance. I'm not gonna force you into this. It's up to you. I'd love to spend time. I'll be out on the porch. I'd love to hang out with you. 
And one of the things that stopped me so often from going and hanging out with my dad, and I'll never forget this, uh, is I knew he was gonna ask me these four questions every single time. Bryce, how are you really doing? He would always ask me that. He skipped the, how are you doing? No, 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 how are you really? He just went straight to, how are you really doing? The next question he was gonna ask me, how are you and Jesus doing? And I hated that question. Oh, I hated it. Because here's what, here's what the reality was. I wasn't, I, I mean, honestly, I wasn't spending any time with Jesus. And so all I'm thinking the whole time is, I don't wanna hang out with dad because I know dad's gonna be disappointed in me. The next question he's gonna ask me, because I was dating a girl at the time, he'd go, how are you guys doing in your relationship? Well, I was having sex, so I'm sitting here going, I know he's not gonna wanna hear that. So dad, another reason why he'd be disappointed in me. And another question he would always ask me is, how are you doing uh, uh, in, your, in your sexual purity? And I'm like, oh, what a fun question to answer. Because not only am I having sex, but I'm also addicted to pornography, awesome. And I'm just like, he's just gonna be super disappointed with me if I meet with him, if I hang out with him. And, and I remember every single night, like, I mean, he was without fail every night, just going, Bryce, I love you so much. I would love to spend time with you whenever you're ready. Okay, cool, dad. Until one night. God had just started wreck, I mean, just changing my life. I had a lot of stuff go on and I shared it last week and a lot of different things that were, that were happening. And I just was really upset and really frustrated. And so finally I didn't have any other plans that night. And I went out on the porch and I knew that there were some things I needed to talk to my dad about. And Jesus just started doing a, a movement in my heart through some people. It was actually through a small group. And I'm out there and, you know, he starts asking me, buddy, how are you doing? How are you really doing? And I, I mean, I just opened up and just said, dad, here's everything. And I remember sharing with him, dad, I was so scared. You were gonna be so disappointed in me. I never wanted to approach you with any of this stuff because I'm sitting here and I, you know, claim to be a Jesus follower and I just can't seem to get my feet under me. And I'm making all the wrong moves, all the wrong decisions, all the decisions I know as a Christian I shouldn't make. And so I just shared everything with him and said, Dad, I was so scared and, and, and I was so scared that you'd be so disappointed in me. And I'll never forget, he, he literally just stood up, walked over to me, threw his arms around me and said, Bryce, I love you so much. I love you so much. And there's nothing you could ever do that would ever stop me from loving you and ever stop you from being my son. And I know you thought I was gonna be so disappointed in you, but I am so proud of you. And it was as if this paradigm just shifted in my brain. And it was as if in that moment I was finally able to go, I know this is a glimpse, just a glimpse into who God is and how much he loves me.
And God didn't love me to get something from me, but he loved me just to go, Bryce, all I want, all I want is you. Nothing else. Nothing else. And I sit here and share that story and, and honestly, I struggle sharing that because I know so many people in this room would kill to have an experience like that with their dads. I know you would. And a lot of times I go, I don't know if I should share this. And, and what I think about in that moment is God allowed me to experience that because that experience right there, like that was where God, I believe, called me into ministry and said, Bryce, I want you to tell every single person about this God who loves you exponentially more than you could ever imagine, that doesn't need anything from you. He's not out to get something from you. He wants what's absolutely best for you. And he will chase you down. He will absolutely keep reminding you, hey, I know you're not ready right now. I know you're scared. I know you think I might be disappointed in you, but I'm not. I, am, I love you and I just want you. No strings attached. I don't have an angle here. I am in for you. And guess what? When you come into relationship with me, I don't go, hey, now you owe me. My dad's goal was not for me to love him more. It wasn't so I could take the trash out a little bit more and just be a better son. There was no catch. There was no angle. It was just purely because I was his son. And what my dad always wanted for me was far greater than what I ever wanted for myself. And he could have said, Bryce, well, I've tried. Every stinking night, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and you never respond. But instead, he kept it coming. And I want you to know that that is the, like, my, like I'm not comparing my dad to God in any way. My dad is a broken picture of who God is, but I go, if that's even a stinking glimpse, I go, how beautiful, how scandalous, how, how great a love is that God would have for you, that he, would, that he would humble himself to go, I know that you probably don't know and recognize this kind of a love. And so I'm gonna do whatever it takes. I'll come in the form of an infant, go to the worst of the worst places, even go to the people you don't expect me to go to because I will do far beyond what you expect because that's how much I want you to know I love you and all I want all I want is you nothing more guys some of us in here have a really hard time believing that not only any that, that anybody would want us let alone God doesn't want to be with me. If he would have known, if he, if he knows what I did last night, if he knows what I did last week, he wouldn't want to be with me. In fact, he knows everything that you've done and he still comes after you. And I believe, I 
believe God is giving you this word tonight, saying, I want you. That's true love. He doesn't want something from you. He's not asking for something in return. He wants what's best for you. So what right now do you feel is getting in the way of you coming to Jesus? What do you feel right now is getting in the way of you coming to Jesus? Maybe you don't believe that anybody could ever really want you. That's the furthest thing from the truth. And I believe the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, all of it screams, I want you more than you want yourself. God sent his son because he genuinely wanted you personally. From a scandalous birth to this beautiful, amazing, scandalous grace. that says, I don't want anything from you. It's not why I'm doing this. I don't got an angle here. I want what's best for you. Father, I just thank you, God. Thank you. God, this has just been wrecking me the past few days. God, thank you for such an awesome dad. God, thank you for my small group leaders. Thank you for the people that you put in my life that I just took for so granted during the time. God, thank you for sending so many people in my life who just said, Bryce, I love you without condition. God, I know some of these people in here are, are missing that and don't feel that. But God, I know that if they truly experience that love from you, how much that would change the game and change their lives. God, you have something far better than we could ever want for ourselves and we could ever imagine. And God, I believe that you are calling people to you tonight. God, will you please stir up some conversations in our small groups? God, maybe even during worship that we would go up to somebody and just say, God, I want to be in relationship with you, what does that look like? Because God, I believe you've been calling on so many people in this room. God, I love you. But Lord, I know you love me first. And I know you loved us first so much that you sent your son. Born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, spat on and mocked and crucified by the ones that he created. Crucified and then rose from the grave three days later, all to remind us that you love without angles, that you love with no strings attached. Thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray, amen.